What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's happening, man? Yo, what's going on, man? Happy uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day. I see you got a little bit of green on. I, I got my green, you know? Uh, uh, no. Well, I mean, yes. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, just no, some just some humor for your Friday, man. No, no disrespect to the Irish, you know. I got no. love for everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, but you, you wore yours intentionally for that? You know what's funny, man? I'm, I'm only a little bit part Irish, but uh, that's a tradition my mom started. And uh, later today, I am headed to Chicago, where I've only ever been in the airport of Chicago, I think Midway um, on St. Patrick's Day. But I know that that's one of the cities where it's a big deal. That is not why I'm going. But uh, yeah, man, I'm just kind of honoring a, honoring a tradition my mom started. And, you know, it's not it's not exactly Kelly Green, but I got a little little flash on. Yeah. Have you had green beer? You know, what's today, funny today, oh. <laughs> man, let the record show. We are taping this at one o'clock and I know my way around a beer, but I, uh, I have never been a huge uh, day drinker once in a while. If there's reason to celebrate, I might have a beer with lunch, but I'm one of those people, man, it makes me tired. Um, and I know like you're funny though. Cause you'll be like, Oh man, I love beer. And all the times, you and I have had a drink and had a meal or all that stuff together, had drinks. Um, I've only ever seen you drink a beer. I probably count it on my hand, one hand. Uh, you know, I have I have beer like probably every week, but I do the Belgian beer like on cheat day. You know, like it's, it's, uh, that, it's a treat for me. So you go highbrow. <laughs> they go low. I go low and brow. I go highbrow. <laughs> tonight's the night so make mine a low and brow yeah have you had you have had green beer though in your life no you know what's funny i don't think i have i went to ireland in the last year for the very first time i was there 36 hours in dublin and uh <laughs> i had my fair share of guinness which was a beer that i've never i have to say i've never like loved up until that and after having it there man i don't know it was just like that's that's something i've i've enjoyed but i don't think i've ever had green beer maybe i'll change that this weekend yeah all right man. also i also don't fuck, uh, mess with uh shamrock shakes either that's that's gross to me what is a shamrock shake come on man you know from your days of, of past as a mcdonald's customer you don't know what a shamrock shake is nah man although i gotta i gotta tell you uh, i grew up in indiana and my hometown was is was defined as so average to america whatever that means that it was a testing place for mcdonald's so we had stuff way before anyone else did from McDonald's. Some stuff never made it. Like, have you ever had McPizza or heard of McPizza? No. There was McPizza, you know. Um, and was it was it good? I didn't try it, dude. Uh, <laughs> just it, it was green beer to me. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Nah, so what's a shamrock shake? Is you know it's a mint. Um, I think it's a mint vanilla milkshake. And there's people out there. You know, it's like the McRib or something like there's a cult following it has. And um, I think I've had maybe like uh, half of one in my life. But, you know, I don't love mint chocolate chip ice cream. The only thing I like that's mint is toothpaste and mouthwash. Other than that. Nah. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. Exact same way. Those two things. And that's it. Mint stuff. Well, peppermint, you know, but like, you know. Yeah. In small doses, man. But how's uh, how's your week going? 
Man, uh, you know, it's been a good week for me, a tough week for hip hop fans, soul fans, actually. You know, uh, we lost another legend this week. Bobby Caldwell died at age 71. Um, you know, did you, were you, did you listen to his music before finding it through hip hop samples? You know, there was a period of time when I got really into the Quiet Storm radio and they would play some of that. But I have to tell you that that would have been like mm, 99, 2000. So right around the same time Commons like Water for Chocolate comes out. So it all coincides. So not really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is a blue eyed soul. You know, I don't even I assume that 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 term is. um still politically correct hope it's not offensive to anyone but um you know he's someone who really was um you know has some classic songs i think in the, the late 70s early 80s um you know what you won't do for love uh, which tupac you know sa uh, sampled and, and many others for on his song do for love open your eyes which people will recognize from jay dilla flipping it for commons the light and then my flame, which uh, Biggie used on "Sky's the Limit," or Ken, man, yeah, man, great, great, great classic soul songs. You know, um, in fact, you know, I use that term, but a lot of people didn't realize that he was white. Um, you know, even until he died. But you know, most people, I think, they heard the if they heard the record, assumed he was black. Um, you know, just very, very soulful. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, he fits into that like era and style of music that really defies genre because part of it is soul part of it arguably is r&b part of it is in jazz and i just love that period of music and we're seeing that being sampled more and more and one thing i didn't realize is that he was those three songs that you mentioned were independent hits um and i know that obviously the radio system and the label system were different in the late 70s and early 80s but you know, he was somebody who played in bands, um, got his real first kind of teeth coming on with Little Richard, uh, I believe playing guitar, if I'm not mistaken, um, and then moved into that. And, you know, all of his album covers, I always was rocking the fedora. So, um, yeah, that was that was sad. That's younger than both of my parents. So that one's eye opening for me. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, rest in peace to him. Uh, to his fans, family, and friends. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, his music will live on. So, you know, in other news, um, there's been a little bit of back and forth. We did a detailed podcast last year about the rift that's developed between the members of Slaughterhouse, specifically uh, Joel and Ortiz. Uh, and uh, jo Joel Ortiz and King Crooked released a project last year where they really detailed it was called the rise and fall of slaughterhouse you know um just the arc of that group how they came to uh, to to be some of the drama that happened behind the scenes and and more importantly the drama that happened afterwards has prevented them from reuniting and recently uh king crooked and joe budden kind of got into it you want to break that down a little bit yeah um you know joe budden has been you know, using his podcast platform, and let's not forget, we are now in the seventh year since Joe has been a professional rapper. You know, he put the, the um, you know, Rage and the Machine album, um, and then really just stepped away and went full on into TV hosting, podcasting, um, reality television, being just like an all-encompassing media man. 
And, you know, Joe, one of the reasons I think he's been so successful is that he's unfiltered. And somebody who I'll say is a listener um, of, of Joe's podcast, he's given some crit- criticism to over the last four plus years um, is logic. And, you know, this week, Joe, you know, and I should say this month, um, Joe urged logic to retire, um, which is an interesting choice. Because those have been following logic is somebody that like Budden, um, you know, has has taken time away from rap. This is what he said. He goes, logic, I beg of you. I'm pleading with you. Please join me in retirement. Never step near a recording device again. Throw your phone in the ocean. Be allergic to microphones. Promise your fans nothing. Don't go to the studio ever again. You are the worst, yo. You are really, really bad. Um, and to bring up, bring it back to your point. Yeah. And this was in response to, uh, I, he logic released a cover of ice cubes. It was a good day. And it was definitely a, uh, one where he took creative license. You know, it was an acoustic performance with guitars, uh, and he basically sang it in almost like an adult contemporary, um version like it was very bobby caldwell yeah it was, yes yeah it was uh it was definitely uh far from uh the the, ver- the version that cube released it was so much so that cube's own son o'shea jackson jr who heads may remember playing cube in the straight out of compton film whether joking or whether looking for kind of a, a viral jab um you know made reference to logic talking about his mother this way you know in the lyrics of the song which you know hip-hop heads know that ice cube you know the day kind of kind of moves with some uh you know starts with breakfast and some romantic endeavors later on and i never really under never took that to mean that that was cubes i guess now wife and mother of his children but uh interestingly enough budden says that um and crooked eye and, and let's not forget you know, Crook is somebody who spends a great deal of time and, and AFH's accounts engage with it, asking, um, I think, very thoughtful, very music forward questions about rap and hip hop online. And he, Crook said, why does dude hate Logic music so much? Serious question. It's some rappers I wish would retire way before Logic, um, which kind of like you said, fan the flames and, and Crook and Joe, Joel just put out another project. Um, but yeah, I think that it kind of beckons a larger question, don't you think? Yeah, you know, so first of all, I want to explore, do you think that Budden's problem is with Logic's music or with Logic himself? I think a bit of both, you know, and in the years that I've listened um, steadily to Joe's podcast, you know, he's accused logic. And obviously I'm paraphrasing um, and and Joe and his team um, could disagree, but of pandering at times, you know, logic has done things and kind of had moments that, you know, enter the zeitgeist of discussion. And Joe has been very critical of his motives in that at times. And I think that this really started, um, you know, after the Everybody album in 2017, which was a real pivot point for Logic, despite, you know, having a world of success that, of course, I think most fans will remember Logic um, and Alicia Cara and Khaled um, put out the what I would call the suicide prevention song, which was titled after the hotline number, 
which was Grammy nominated for Song of the Year, and Logic found a new level of success, um, arguably a decade into a career that began, you know, very DIY. And Joe had questioned that and some series of Logic's moves around that. Um, I think in addition to some commentary on the music, but more than anything, if you had to choose between the two, I would say it was more about the man than the music. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to me. Uh, logic I've found to be extremely polarizing. And, um, you know, I've had conversations with very respected people in, in hip hop who have expressed similar kind of like discontent with Logic. Um, you know, you and I joke about it, but I know that at times he's rubbed you the wrong way as well. You know, and I want to talk about it. So th there's a lot of different layers here, you know, in my opinion. So first of all, there's the one about commercial success versus more kind of like underground. To your point, Logic came from a very underground tradition. He released, you know, several mixtapes, kind of cut his teeth and built up his fan base that way. And we'll get into that in a little bit. And then at a certain point, uh, made some music that crossed over. You know, and, you know, back since like, uh, like the days of MC Hammer and Young MC and even Beastie Boys, like there's been sort of this chip on the shoulder of certain folks when um, people make music that people believe is designed to cross over to the mainstream. Um, it's, let's talk about that first. What do you, why do you think that is? You know, um, I think if, is it because people aren't being authentic and, and they're doing something that's calculated and like uh, either watering down the culture or making it, you know, more accessible to other audiences than those who typically gravitated toward rap, you know, kind of the way that people say Elvis did rock. Um, um, and, you know, we've got countless examples of others who, who've done that kind of thing. You think that's it or you think it's something else? I mean, there's there's a case by case basis, right? Like it's there's times where I feel like folks have leaned into the formula. Also, there's times where I think that it's been the right message at the right time. And logic's complicated with that because, I mean, that was, um, you know, two to three years after Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, um, who, again, similar to logic, but in a different way, had been kind of bouncing around the independent music scene, arguably the underground coming from, I would say, a third or a fourth level market in Seattle. Logic is from, you know, Gaithersburg, Maryland. And then they made, you know, Same Love and they made um, Thrift Shop. They made these songs that were very different, in my opinion, from what they had before. And it worked and they had a system around them. And Logic is tricky because, you know, he came in um, very meat and potatoes rap. And we, we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, five years Five, six years after I first heard him, he makes a song that is very impassioned and very positive. Um, but it's it's the one that cuts through the top. If you listen to the rest of that album, you know, there's moments that have Chuck D and Black Thought on a song. There's moments that are very Three Six Mafia inspired. So it's just a matter of what really kind of catches the wave in the machine and goes up. And I personally, um, in a lot of cases, don't fault the artist for that especially if they're an artist that isn't an overnight sensation there have been times i think you know vanilla ice 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 baby um and you mentioned hammer but hammer's even a tricky one because hammer had been kicking around for you know four to five years before you can't touch this um but yeah that's I, you know i'm not deflecting but i do think it 
it it it, it ranges between artists and songs. Yeah, and I, and I think to your point, I think that the point where, where you were going is that this isn't necessarily always on the artist. You know, a lot of times I think record labels kind of have a uh, a plan in mind, a strategy for how to reach people. They want to go lowest common denominator to reach the biggest audience. They've invested a, a good deal of money and so they want a, re a return on that. And, you know, we see it with a lot of artists. We saw it with, uh, with Wiz Khalifa, you know, your hometown. When Black and Yellow came out, that was a really big departure from what you heard on Cushion OJ. Like, mm -hmm. um, and definitely kind of affect I, I didn't like that song because it felt too nursery rhymey too like um you know really appealing to the masses for me but it's something that people do um in order to get paid and I can't knock that you know ultimately I think artists are in it for the love but they're also in it to eat and feed their families and make money and so it is what it is you know I think an, another so let, let's so that's one let's put a pen in that you know the commercial versus underground I think another issue for people is Logic's appearance. You know, Logic, um, a lot of people did not realize is biracial because he has, you know, blondish hair and blue eyes and himself has, has marketed himself as looking like a, a young Frank Sinatra. And at the same time, he um, has over the years leaned into his biracial identity, particularly the black side and used the N word like rampantly and like really been super focused on that. I think that, and, but, and yet, and still he benefits potentially, you know, some people might think that he benefits from his appearance of looking white. Do you think that that's, that's part of it too? Uh, that's a tricky one, especially coming from me. I, I don't know that I can speak on that. What I can say is, you know, hip hop, in, in rap are cultures that we celebrate um, unlikely figures. You know, you and I recently, you know, did a really cool um, 20 minute piece. It, it ran on this podcast platform on the evolution of Biggie in terms of fashion sense. And in that there's reference to Big being, you know, big, black and ugly as ever. And Big became a rap superstar who was overweight, had a lazy eye, you know, very dark complexion. And we celebrate that. And Logic came in and, you know, I sent you a clip because it made me laugh and you teased me about Logic's appearance. But there's a comedian, uh, Meki Leeper, who bears a resemblance to Logic. Uh, he's Moroccan, uh, you know, in part. And he made the joke of like rappers not looking cool anymore um, and why he couldn't look like a quote unquote rapper. And I think there's a bit to unpack there because Logic in the last 10 years if you were to see him on the street, you might not think, oh, this is a rapper, especially of his level of success. And I'm not just talking about, you know, melanin or complexion or anything like that. I mean, just the glasses, the haircut, the shirts, the the favoring of video game culture and all of that. He is just a very different type of person. Um, and then to your to what we're also talking about, what he speaks about um, is often very different, too. And he's very, I think on one hand, a huge hip hop fan, but on another super approachable and will write songs about anti-bullying or suicide helplines, different things. And you mix that into a perfect storm of somebody who, whether we're talking about Joe Budden or we're talking about your old Droog, um, who once used to put a photo up of Rachel Maddow and said that this is logic, like making fun of his appearance. That's the perfect storm of hip hop making fun and poking fun 
at somebody like this. Um, so I think that, yeah, it, it, uh, image is a huge part of it is my short answer. I think image is a huge part of it, but I also think it goes beyond uh, what you described as the conventional look. I do think that people um, place importance on uh, how he presents racially. You know, I'm not saying that I do, but I do think that other people do. And I think that some people believe that that played a part in his success. If he had released that song, uh, the suicide prevention song, but looked very different, I, I think people think that that might not have had the same success that it did. You know, um, so there's that. Uh, let's talk. OK, so but let's let's really kind of dive into it. And first of all, okay. let's set the stakes for where we are uh, with mm -hmm. Logic. Um, I'm a huge fan of Logic's music. I have been for a long time. I think I first started to uh, dial into him in around 2011 or so when he released his, his Young Sinatra mixtape. Um, I, I put him on uh, in the back room in BET's freestyle. Like I was, um, you know, a champion of him uh, on that level as well. And we've supported him throughout uh, our tenure at AFH, both in terms of editorial pieces. And he is always a presence, like I'd say a fixture on our Spotify playlist. There's like two or three songs on, on the playlist now from his new album, College Hill. College um, Park. Or College Park, yeah, sorry. Uh, going back to BET there. Uh, <laughs> College Park. Um, so I'm a big, big fan of Logic, probably more so than most. That being said, though, I'm, I'm not afraid to take an objective look at people and like examine you know, you know, some of the things that that might appear to be a little bit off as well. But but what about you? You know, we joke about it, but would yeah. you say you're a Logic fan or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I would to a degree. And there's definitely um, one of the things I like the joke, but I think sometimes I've been misrepresented on this podcast. Like I like I wake up and I'm like Logic and I'm putting pins into a voodoo doll. <laughs> you um, are. No, nah, man. <laughs> 2011 in the late summer, possibly early fall, I came across the Young Sinatra uh, single, the music video, um, which was recorded to a beat based around Milk Bones, Keep It Real. And um also uh, Life's a Bitch by, you know, Nas and AZ. And, you know, 2011 was a really interesting time, especially in mixtapes. You had, you know, Big Crit making his second straight, what I would consider classic mixtape in Return of Forever. You had, um, you know, Mac Miller had made kids and the whole Lord Finesse thing. Like you had, um, you had a lot of really talented MCs that were stepping forth showing their fandom for a, a bygone era of hip-hop and kind of reviving it at a time when auto-tune and R&B rap was was really winning at radio. So I saw that and I saw Logic and I was just enamored. And then the fact that like, you know, an artist calling themselves Young Sinatra um, and having a team around him called the Rat Pack seemed like a really bold move. You know, like that's not especially cool to me and that's not especially like what I expect to see in a rapper so I covered it at the time I was you know the editor-in-chief of hip-hop dx and we covered it and then we quickly did you, did you know he was biracial at that time no I don't I don't think so I don't think mm -hmm. so and it's funny even that video if I I, I rewatched it this morning but I as we prep for this, I watched a lot of revisited a lot of logic content I think it's um black and white and then switches to color no, did you when you discovered him in twenty? No, I, I assumed he was white. I mean, it was Young Sinatra, right? Like, uh, so that to me was, you know, 
pretty strong indication. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong with the artwork to that, you know, mixtape, which would have been, you know, online. I never had a physical copy, but it was that classic shot of young Frank Sinatra, right? Like yeah, it might even mug be a mugshot, mugshot where exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um I was in Jersey City last weekend and I saw that for sale in a few of the windows in in, in town. Um, but yeah, I, I was taken and, and here's what blew me away. So we covered him on DX. And then quickly after that, we, I was like, yo, like I listened to some more songs as they came out and I reached out, um, I think through our social media team at the time and found Logic's manager, Chris, and we interviewed him and what blew me away, cause especially in that time I was studying a lot of real time traffic. Logic had a massive fan base, like as a guy who I literally went from never hearing before, when he shared something, I don't know if it was Facebook or Twitter at the time, or like our traffic went nuts. And I'm watching this guy who goes from unknown to me, who's clearly been putting in work. And, you know, there's there's plenty of other artists that do that. But that was so fascinating as somebody who studies this music, you know, and obsesses over it. Yeah. And, and to your point about there being a bunch of artists back then who were celebrating the pine, the people who came before them. Logic has been true to that, like since day one, like not mm -hmm. only beat selection, but he is almost to the level of the game. You know, a person who will shout out uh, other artists and incorporate them in his rhymes. He unabashedly talks about how he wanted to be Kendrick and Cole and people like that. But then also, you know, what a dream it is for him to rap with Wu-Tang Clan and, you know, and other heroes of his. And, you know, to his credit, he's been someone who over the years hasn't just talked about it, but has actually brought artists uh, who are at different points in their career back onto his platform and uh, potentially expose them to a whole different audience than they would have had had he not done so. So he's not only talked the talk, he's walked the walk in terms of like celebrating legends. That is very real. And that's one of the places where I think AFH has celebrated Logic. Um, you know, just even recently, he has a new song with Redman. It's Seth MacFarlane, the creator of Family Guy, another kind of unlikely choice to put on a song in Static Selecta. We covered it. It's on our playlist right now. Um, and that is, you know, somebody mapping out a high-level collaboration. Let's not forget, Logic brought the surviving members of Wu-Tang Clan together on a song and called it Wu-Tang Forever. That fandom drips in his music, like, and it's palpable. And I think you make a really great comparison in the game because when the game came on the scene, it made me as a hip hop fan really relate to a guy who was shouting out Cool G Rap and MC8 and King T and the different things that he did. But after a while um, with game and with logic, I ask myself, is this too not gimmicky? Cause I don't know that there's a huge upside to it, but does it start to feel like fantasy camp rap? Like, or calculated? Like, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, again, the game is a great comparison ground because there's times where logic will sometimes be a bit of a chameleon. And I think lean into a style that he really likes. And to me, um, it's really cool to watch Black Thought, you know, rhyme like Kane in one verse and rhyme like G-Rap in another, um, or to have that I'm Every MC version where he goes through. But on a consistent basis, if you are chasing, um, that's where I kind of get a little lost. And I will tell you that Logic has been guilty with me. I'm just like, you know what, if you want to rhyme like Kendrick, 
I'm going to go listen to Kendrick Lamar. If you gonna if you want to go make an imitation three, six mafia song, you did it very well, but I'm going to go pull out mystic styles and listen to three, six mafia. Yeah. Yeah. So on this latest project, college park, um, it's very much a throwback to logic's days of old, you know, he's reminiscent of, you know, when he was first grinding, he, he talks about like, even when he was like, um, he talks about like, uh, you know, when he was like, he, it starts off with a dream, uh, a song, he, he wakes up and he says that he had a dream that, you know, he had the RZA on a song with him. He was rapping with RZA and he couldn't remember any details of it, but, but that's what it was. And of course we know that he ended up fulfilling that. Uh, I think they've, they've, they've partnered a couple of times, right? Yeah. I believe certainly on the um, Wu-Tang forever, but yeah. Yeah. So you know, first of all, he's still doing concepts. And that's just something we talked about before. Like, you know, the, the, the notion of an album uh, is kind of fallen by the wayside in a world of streaming where like everything is about playlists and not necessarily putting things in order, but customizing your own music experience. He believes in the art of crafting an album. I'd say that he and Kendrick and Cole are probably the leaders of, of the, the current school with that. In terms of hip hop, there aren't a ton of people who do it. And uh, on Wake Up, which is the second song on the project, he raps, um, the outro of the song says, and on a beautiful, well, actually, Logic raps about uh, how music saved him from the path of life and violence and crime. And he, he raps literally, had a gat in my hand, but I didn't want to be that man. And then the outro of the song sets up the album's concept and it says, on a beautiful autumn day in 2011, Logic and his best friends drove through the slums of College Park in a Chevy Impala around the streets of Prince George's County, cruising through an unknown universe, beginning a journey that would inevitably alter the course of not, not only their own, but the lives of millions of people around the world. So, you know, the entire song is about how he could have chosen a different path. It was all around him. You know, it, it alludes to... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I'm kind of doing dirt and then choosing not to do so. And um, and then focusing on music and taking him to places well beyond where he could have ever dreamed he could be. And so what I thought we could do is kind of go back um, to 2011, which is when that Young Sinatra mixtape dropped, and look at what Logic was talking about back then on record versus what he talks about on College Park and what he talked about sub, you know, before that or subsequent to, to the Young Sinatra mixtape on other projects to really take a look and see if they align, you know, because I think part of the problem and you just said it like really succinctly is that 
Logic, logic can be chameleon-like at times, and people believe that he may alter his image. Sometimes he flexes into appearing white, like you know, claiming himself to be young Sinatra. Other times he flexes into being black, like talking about his grandfather, granddaddy Malik, and um, the biracial part. Sometimes he, he flexes into being a popular artist and does songs like the suicide prevention song. Other times he's underground. Um, there are lots of things that I think people might see as contradictions within logic that um, may feel calculated to some. To others, it's just complexity, the way that Tupac was complex. You know, Tupac, I made a mixed, uh, a tape uh, called From the Profane to the Profound for mixing mm. for uh, Tupac. Because Tupac was about partying and drinking and like, you know, chasing women and all that other stuff. He was also about revolution and um, and philosophy and loving his mom and celebrating black women like he was all those things and just as i don't think that people would criticize tupac as someone who's disingenuous i think it's worth exploring to see if logic merits that same kind of um respect or if maybe he is being calculated yeah not for nothing i mean tupac is you know a sacred lamb of of hip hop, you know, we he's an idol to so many. And then there's other cases of that, too. You can look at a Busta Rhymes, a Fat Joe, a Rick Ross. There's a lot of artists whose tone, whose whose autobiography continues to unwind, who go through these periods. And, and I totally agree with what you're saying. But, yeah, it's a great question. Is logic, you know, somebody who panders and is a chameleon or is he somebody who's just unwinding all of these different colors in the spectrum of his artistry or is he evolving too right yeah. you know and, and to the point about you know chameleons like kendrick himself has said that he's more kodak black than um than um i, I forget the line yeah uh, i know what you mean line, yeah um uh but um you know so so suggesting that he's not like a prophet like don't put him on a pedestal he's just you know a regular dude um, but like Jay-Z is a perfect example of someone who's evolved, right? Jay like has talked about selling drugs, like the first five albums of his career. And he evolved to talking about hanging Picassos on his wall and buying buildings and making investments. And, you know, people were like, yo, that, you know, why are you talking about that? Because that's the, the, that's the place in his life where he is. I think with logic though, he kind of goes back and forth, you know, on these things, even like at this point in time. So, um, you know, so I, I guess what, what I want to do is figure out, do we believe that logic is, um, is truly um, a, a chameleon and doing so in a calculated way? Or do we believe he's complex and just articulating different parts of his life at different times? So you, you know, young Sinatra, you say you want to take it back to 2011. And you really, you talked about that body of work. Um, so, and you re-listened to it ahead of this episode, yeah? Yeah, re-listened to it. And more importantly, I read through every single lyric for every song, you know, because a lot of times you don't catch everything. And I wanted to make sure that we were being true to him and not misquoting him and things like that. Um, you know, so I wanted to just kind of do an objective look back. So again, College Park is is meant to talk about logic when, you know, back in 2011 before he made it big. And, you know, he's talking about how to get in my hand, but I didn't want to be that man. So the first lyric that he raps on um, on Young Sinatra is the first song is called One. 
And he says, it was all a dream just a year ago, bussing tables and serving food, but y'all don't hear it though. And so he starts off establishing himself on this project, at least, as like an everyday dude who was just hustling, you know, waiting tables or bussing tables, like working in a restaurant, like, you know, your average everyday person um, in order to make a living, you know, and throughout the project, um, the consistent theme um, in, in multiple songs is that he was always laser-like focused on becoming a big rapper. Like that, that is documented throughout the song. And we'll talk about some lyrics of that uh, in a few minutes, but he goes on to rap on this same song one. Now I'm on another level, but y'all ain't near it though. My soul bleeding on the track, so spiritual. It's a blessing because now rapping is my profession, yo. Mm. Set to detonate, detonate, I'm just waiting for my time to blow. Um, and then, you know, he, he talks about race for the first time, but he just hints at it. He says, white boy at first glance, but when I rhyme, they know. Race don't mean a uh, effing thing the second that I flow. Um, so on the one hand, he's he's giving a kind of wink that he's not white necessarily. Um, but then in the next line, he says race doesn't even matter. So he's not like leaning into any particular like racial ethnicity at that point either. So a little bit, you know, conflict there. And then, you know, later in the song, he says something that I, I think starts to sound a bit contradictory uh, to that line uh, from College Park. He says, I was around drugs and gats, but never delved in crime, had other things in my mind, so I began to grind. And that line, it aligns with everything else that follows on this album. So, you know, when you hear that line, does it conflict to you uh, with, um, with, with the first line from Wake Up? Yeah, a little bit. And I think there's a there's there's grace. I mean, I always hear Dr. Dre in my mind going and I don't smoke weed or assess. And then, boom, four years later, you have the chronic. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a bit of a shifted narrative. But here's what I'll say about the more recent version on College Park is, you know, Logic is obsessed with comic books. He's he's penned um, memoirs and novels, from what I understand. I think that this is a case of like, yo, let me tell you a captivating story. But I'm going to listen to the 2011 version and say, OK, this is your real reality versus the 2023 version of I'm going to go back and maybe intensify things a little bit. Um, but I do, as a step back, say I don't love that disconnect. And I know so many other rappers are guilty of it. So many other MCs. You can go one by one. Some of the names we've mentioned. But that one is a little jarring to me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I love that analogy of like, and, and listen, like we're all guilty of it, right? We embellish the past, we don't remember it, you know, crystal clear 2020. Um, you know, but to your point, I think that the real time um, distillation of what your experience is, often is the, the truest one. But, you know, to that, I'll say that there are caveats, you know, some people come out of the gate, when it comes to revealing their bios, other people do it like, you know, over time. So, you know, people who did it out of the gate, Jay-Z did it out of the gate with reasonable doubt. Like it was like a journal, like a, like it was like a, a, a complete distillation of everything that he did in the streets, right? He did it for the streets. It was, it was talking about what he did in the streets and that was it. 50 cent, same way, you know, talking about like um, his life in the streets and, you know, um, you know, being shot nine times and all the things that we know about 50. Kanye, I would say, is the same way in the opposite direction, right? Kanye chose to say, listen, 
you know, I was not in the streets. I was wearing backpacks and posing. So working at Gap. Exactly, working at the Gap. Like this was my reality. And so those are some guys who did it right out of the gate. Other people, I think, kind of had it trickled out like over time. The two that come to mind for me, and you probably know others, are, are J. Cole, you know, is one. Um, and Kendrick is another one as well. Um, you, know, uh, you know, Good Kid, Matt City, a lot of people know was Kendrick's first album, uh, or depending on how you define Section 80. And But he saved that. He, he deliberately saved, you know, the story of his childhood and his coming of age period for his debut album. There were other mixtapes and things like that that talked about other things, but he was very intentional about not revealing certain things until that particular project. But can you think of other examples like that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. I'm, I'm thinking again of Rick Ross. I mean, Rick Ross came out with Hustlin' and said, you know, I'm, you know, I know Noriega, the real Noriega. And then that was 2005, 2006, if I'm not mistaken. And then right around 2007, 2008, people came out and said, wait a minute, you were a correctional officer. And you look at that and Rick Ross has weathered that storm. I mean, that didn't cancel him. That didn't end him. And I think in 2008, a lot of people thought this wasn't going to work. Um, but I think to your question, I mean, the Kendrick example is incredible because what he did was was save enough of a concept and enough of a perspective because even, you know, overly dedicated, he had other bodies of work well ahead of that. But he offered a sliver of his life to make a really compelling album, same as, as you know, 2014 Forest Hills Drive. So those are the two best examples. And one thing I'll add is, you know, Logic is of that same time. I, I always kind of perceive him as a year, year, year and a two behind Drake, Kendrick and Cole. I mean, maybe that's on us as when we got to know him as fans. But I think that part of it is what he's doing is always trying to nudge him his way into that class. And maybe that's why you get some of these disconnects. I don't know. Yeah, 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 it could be. So so let's move to another song, right? So there's a song called Shine On, uh, which um, is early in the project as well. And on this one, it, he gets a bit more specific. He says, now I've accepted I'm not from the hood. Because selling crack and busting gats don't make my raps good. Now, yeah, I see you there. shaking your head. The, <laughs> yeah. That's not him riding around PG in the Impala, you know, yeah. looking looking for the jucks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's very different. That's that's a he's absolutely refuting that lifestyle and refuting uh, people who he's actually like you know making a commentary on on you know people who use that for their music, saying like, listen, like. It's a crutch. You don't need that. Like, that's that's not what I'm about. And so that to me seemed like a direct contradiction to wake up. Um, and so, you know, again, we can attribute it to fuzzy memory or, you know, there's an, an open question or is it calculated? You know? Yeah, big time. So let's go, though. It gets really interesting because there's a skit called Sellout Records. And on this skit, he's making fun of rappers who change their stories to gain popularity. Right. Yeah. Which is which is exactly the conversation we're having about whether he, he's doing right. And so there's this fake record executive named Marty Randolph who calls him up. He's noticed that Logic has a buzz. It sounds very much like the way you did at D DX. Like uh, he, he noticed he has a buzz. <laughs> Call um, me Marty Randolph. OK, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, And, um, you know, and a fan base He's like, yo, we got to capitalize on this. Right. So he says. So this is Marty Randolph. Basically, okay, you know everything that that comp compiles you. 
the whole young Sinatra smooth intellectual lyrics, the realism of who you are and how you project that, everything that you do with your music. So this is him, like, you know, Marty Randolph acknowledging that, you know, he's young Sinatra, that logic is smooth and has smart lyrics and, you know, he's real in his songs. So, you know, again, logic is saying that this of himself effectively. Logic says, yeah, man, thanks. I'm glad you spotted that out. And then Marty Randolph says, basically what we're going to do is get rid of that, okay? We want to put you in the limelight with a bunch of bees and popping bottles because nobody cares about that stuff. So that's fascinating, right? Like, you know, in the context of this, this is logic saying who he is and using someone else uh, to show how the industry is trying to get him to be something that he's not in order to be popular. Yeah, to mold him. Yeah. And um, to your point, you know, um, you think that Logic's music in the future may be evolved to do just that to some degree, not in the terms that, that Marty is asking for, but in other ways. Yeah, I think Logic's somebody who who watches what's going on around him um, and wants to try his hand at it, you know, in terms of beat selection. And, and let's not forget, Logic is a great producer. But, you know, I mean, we've watched producers create beats that sound like other producers. Um, and I think he does it with flows. I think he does it with content. And there's just a like, hey, I can do it, too. And he does it very well. But, you know, I know I know we're saying in that in that case. But, yeah, the Marty Randolph character is interesting to look back at a dozen years ago because Logic, even though he's been a major label star, has been, from what I understand, very much in the driver's seat of his own marketing and image. So yeah, just interesting prophecy there. Yeah. And so then, you know, on a song called On Prime, you know, he starts to really dive into and just solidify. He wasn't about that life, that crime life. He was really about trying to do everything he could to succeed as a rapper. So on, on Prime, he raps yeah, in high school, I wasn't worried about them A's and B's. I was trying to make the flow unkillable to obtain these G's. And then he goes on to say, because nobody made it in the game out of where I'm coming from. Can you feel me? Me and my team devised a scheme to get the cream. So he's saying here that, and, and, and he said this throughout the project, that he was very strategic. He was very intentional about um, chasing success and finding success in rap music. So I don't know. That's that's in deep contrast to me to um, some of the things that are, are presented in that college in that um, college part opening wake, wake up. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, one thing I'll, I'll shoot logic a bit of bail is we all know that somebody and when I talk about my past or you talk about yours, there could be outlier years or seasons. You know, we've watched Jay-Z go from you know, the the lyricist that you hear on those records with Jazz O to, wow, he's somebody who's moving around East Trenton doing these other things that you later, you know, you don't hear that Jay-Z story until Reasonable Doubt, really. You still get, you know, the, the stutter step flow up until really you hear dead presidents you know in those those 95 96 records but I, I digress i mean you know logic could be there could be a period of time between 2011 and 2000 and you know him signing his deal where where maybe that temptation seeped in more but that's not for you or i to say yeah you know so we've been talking about this throughout in terms of contradiction right mm -hmm. um you know it's contradictory that he doesn't want to sell out 
uh, and puts a skit about it, but is also talking about how he's doing everything he can in order to like achieve commercial success, right? Um, it's contradictory that he declares himself to be young Sinatra, uh, but then like kind of tacitly implies that he might not be, um, you know, he might be of a, a, a different races. I'm gonna go with a different C word though, when it comes to logic. And I think that for me, this one feels more genuine to who he is. A person don't think that logic is like a bad dude and some super calculated person just trying to get over. I think that what logic is, is conflicted. And I think that that has been a recurring theme in his music uh, from young Sinatra and probably before all the way up through this current project. Uh, we saw it on songs like Africarian, um, which is the culmination of everybody, which is the album where he fully leaned into his biracial identity. And some might think, say, went like a bit extreme with it because on this project, young Sinatra, I'll note he didn't drop the N-word one single time. There are 22 songs on this entire project. Not once did he drop the N-word. If you listen to everybody, um, that album, it is all over the album, right? And so that that's definitely a very different like um, presentation than what, what a young Sinatra person would do. But Africarian, um, he talks about his um, his ancestors and like the the difficulties of being biracial, he's not accepted by the white kids because he has um, black family, he's not accepted by the black kids because he doesn't look um, doesn't look black. And at the end, there's a secret song that we found kind of later, that was actually one of the first to like report on it, um, where J. Cole raps to him and it's just rapping on his phone. It's not even to, it's to a beat, it's like to like a, a, like a metronome, like so he can be on beat. And he's telling Logic, man, you're too wrapped up on this, man. Like, I'm also biracial. Just be who you are. Don't let anybody put you in a box except your identity, you know, and whole and, you know, stop trying to, you know, parcel yourself out and lean into one or, or the other. Um, so it, it's fascinating. But I will say on Young Sinatra, there's a song toward the end of the project called Mixed Feelings. And on that, Logic, like, fully talks about like his race. He says, um, he says, perhaps together with, with uh, he says, um, with an urge to break free of this biracial jail, jail cell, feast my memories, please come and taste this. Papa was a black man, mama was a racist. Growing up, she called me, this is the only time he uses the N word. Um, uh, N word, he says it to make a point. Kids call me cracker. While the whites got whiter and the blacks got blacker, I was hurting, doing everything I can. Proceed as a white boy with, with the soul of a black man. Damn, looking up to Malcolm X, studying his speeches, underlining his text. How can I be white devil if my parents had sex? Cause I'm black and I'm white and I'm proud of every word that I recite. I know my roots, I know my past. I know the issue of my mom ain't gonna last. We all breathe the same air and bleed the same blood. And when we die, the same ditch gets dug. That to me, like, is like almost like journal writing in terms of like um, the conflict that 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 he lives every day. It's poetry, and yes, yeah. yeah, poetry. And I think that that conflict manifests itself for many different aspects of his life. You know, throughout his life thus far. Absolutely, and and yeah, he said. Um, I, I think you may have misquoted it. He said, um, "I know the issues of my race ain't gonna last." We all breathe this thing that like 
race. And I think that that's so interesting because that was 2011. And, you know, I think some of Logic's biggest trolls or I won't say critics, but people that, you know, stay on Logic's mind as detractors, a lot of it, I think, deals with racial identity and looking at how he's, it you know, spoken of those issues too. Yeah, absolutely. So that to me, like, you know, I think sets up a lot of what has defined logic, you know, throughout his career. You know, like we said, everybody, it becomes more prevalent. I can't remember if on the first album, was it Under Pressure? Under Pressure. Um, they talk, so he talks about it a little bit there, right? Uh, but but not a ton. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he's leaned into it. Like, um, you know, during that album, I, not to cut you off, but during that album, I believe is when 2011, it might have been the second album. They had that, I believe it was Vice or MTV produced that thing where Logic sat on the couch with his parents and that same thing and mixed feelings. Like they had that conversation, not about his mom being a racist, but like about the contrast from the experience he had with his mother versus with his dad. And to the I think spot on point you made, it showed an artist and a man who was very conflicted. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to kind of emphasize that point on the last song on the project called Just Another Day in My Mind, he says, I had to face my demons and embrace all my fears while you was out partying, chilling and sipping on some beers. I was sacrificing adolescent years. So again, like this is not him being out in the streets. This is him pursuing his dream with everything it took and making sacrifices uh, to do that. He says, blood, sweat, and tears to find out what music really is. And now I'm feeling, I'm feeling like the moment has arrived where Bobby is no longer living and logic has revived. Like, so that's like, that's like the heart of conflict, right? He's not even like one person. He's Bobby and logic, um, you know, and I think that he's trying to re reconcile multiple identities, um, you know, so does that does that speak to you too or yeah 100 percent. i mean i think it come comes in and you even down to the way that you know he's named some of his projects you know on bobby tarantino and this is logic and i believe even more recently he put out a project under a pseudonym like logic is trying to you know choose all these identities within himself and i'm sure at times again to your point those identities conflict yeah so you know 2011 i think paints to me a more full picture of of of, um, of logic i think that the 2023 version that's being depicted is one that is almost a caricature of what you know he wanted to be at that time um versus like the reality is he's a, a complex person with a lot of contradicting and conflicting viewpoints about life and has gone through a lot of uh stuff that has influenced him in that way, but it's it's true to who he is. You know, it, 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 he is truly a person who, yeah, he may have grown up around some things, but he didn't get involved in it. He stayed out of it. He, he pursued music to the fullest. He wasn't comfortable using the N-word except to emphasize a point, you know, with his mom. He was identifying as young Sinatra, uh, but, you know, also conflicted about that because, you know, um, that's leaning into something that he was being criticized about in his family. And, you know, I think he's kind of working through things as he goes with this project and continue to do so for multiple albums. So I can see how from standing back and, and looking at it, especially if you don't dive deeply into his career, 
and his catalog that it might seem like this guy is all over the place and just doing what he can to get fame. And he's even suggested that he might do that. But to me, I, I don't think that he has. But what's your kind of final thought on it? Yeah, I mean, it's just tricky. I, I, I love authenticity. And I think that Logic is being who he is. But I wish that he was a little bit smarter reading the room. Um, you know, you you personally, through our work together at AFH, convinced me really what a special album everybody was in 2017. And that obviously contains Logic's biggest hit, you know, eight times platinum. And that's just domestically. But where Logic lost me is less than a year or less than two years after putting that song out, um, he made fun of it himself. You know, he had a line on a song um, with French Montana and ASAP Rocky where he starts to say 1-800 is in the hotline. And then he said, I killed that P, you know, women's private parts. And I just thought like, that's super crass and super cringe. And like, literally you've kicked all these doors down for yourself only to swing around and make it a punchline. And I believe he's done that other times. And I'm just like, you, you're still growing up. You're still figuring yourself out. And there's a whole bunch of, of MCs and artists that I look at and I see that with, but I can tell you that I don't see that in J. Cole. I don't see that in Kendrick. I don't see that in the best of the best. And while Logic is an extremely talented MC and an extremely talented producer, he's topped the charts, you know, been nominated for huge awards, won the plaques. There's a reason why he hasn't reached that that other, you know, winner circle. And is and would you go as far as say there's a reason why he's hated? I mean, does that like do you think that plays into it? Like People don't sense that he's being authentic. Um, and again, the question is, is it him being inauthentic or is it him being conflicted? Like, but I can see people perceiving as inauthentic. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. Like I looked at the Ice Cube Good Day thing and I'm just like, dude, that's cringe. Like I saw a video of him during a 3-6 Mafia, you know, a Juicy J and, and DJ Paul concert. And they're they're performing Slob on My Knob, you know, a classic. And Logic's up dancing on a couch. Um, and this was recently. This was this year. And I look at that and I'm just like, you know what? I'm the type of person in any art. I don't have to agree with everything the artist says. But I do like people that, you know, I can I can bond with. That, I, that I'd like to sit and have a cup of coffee or beer with. And, you know, I, I really appreciate Logic's fandom of hip hop. I think he can flow really well at times. I think he's made some very um, profound statements. The one you just read, you know, for mixed feelings being one early in his career. Um, but there's a lot of times where I'm just like, nah, this isn't what I really want to listen to when I drive around. Just being yeah. real. No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I don't think it's retirement worthy, uh, which is how we started this. But I can definitely see how some of the things he's done have rubbed people the wrong way. You know, um, I, I guess for me, I don't attribute it to being calculated. I just contributed, attributed to him being human and he likes what he likes. Right. I don't think he put out that ice cube cover for a viral moment to get attention. Maybe he did like, who knows, maybe like I'm just way off. Maybe he did that knowing it would get um, criticism from button and other folks and maybe the album isn't performing the way that he wanted it to. You know, that's a possibility. Because um, why else would he put that out now, you know? Uh, or maybe he's just like, you know, F it. Like, um, I don't care. Uh, I, I love Cube. And I'm going to do something that is funny, that feels good to me. And it is what it is. And, you know, he even started it out saying, you know, like, 
he started it off saying something like that. I'm going to just do this. And this is what I'm feeling. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, and, and we've lived in a time and and I believe that logic and chance, the rapper are very much contemporaries of each other. I mean, chance went viral doing the Arthur song, you know, at his concert and well, that's not acid rap to me. That's not juice. That's not the songs of chances that I really like. And I think chance is somebody else who has his share of, of critics out there and people that have, questioned his motives on things um there is an audience for it and one thing i will say is logic is very good at um you know kind of making hip-hop exciting to his fans there's a reason why in 2011 he created sizable traffic the first time i covered him there's a reason why you know he's always you know trending on reddit there's a reason why he was one of the first artists that i thought that was big on twitch you know, dude is dude is ahead of the curve. I just wish he would, you know, pick his spots a little better. Yeah. Well, ultimately, we don't know. Um, and there are just some things in life that you don't know. Um, and speaking of which, we got some interesting information about the song you don't know from Jay-Z um, this week. This has been discussed before, uh, but we got some more details. You want to you want to break this down? Yeah, so Just Blaze um, did an interview with my man Noah and Idea Generation, which is a great, you know, video and audio podcast that, you know, speaks to creators and, and thinkers and folks in music, out of music and fashion and cooking and a host of things. And Just Blaze was the perfect conversation. And, you know, he brought up the fact that You Don't Know was originally a beat. And we're talking about the joint from um, Blueprint. You know, I would consider absolutely one of ten, uh, Jay's 10 best songs. Would you agree with me on that? Oh, man, uh, that's a really tough question. Like, okay. um, Jay's got so many bangers. Like I'll say one, it. one of his 30 best songs. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's got... He's got, I mean, Jay-Z concerts, like it is nothing but his and he could play 40 songs. So yeah, it is one of his best songs, but that could be 40 or 50. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll put it in mind all day long as a, as a, as a top 10 joint. And, you know, Just Blaze revealed um, that, that that beat was originally shopped to Busta Rhymes as well as Prodigy. Um, and, and Just has said this before. Um, you know, a lot of his breakthrough moments in 2001, I mean, the blueprint, for being an album that I, I firmly believe brought Jay to a different level, especially at that time in his career. Um, it absolutely made Just Blaze one of the household, you know, producers, um, you know, just somebody who was a name brand producer. And Jay had a lot to do with that. And then in the years that followed, you know, we watched Just Produce and we can go through the list of just, you know, hits for Fabulous, for Fat Joe, Mano, T.I., you know, the whole Rockefeller family, Dipset, State Prop, all of that. But let me ask you, I mean, that beat, which I can hear in my head as we talk about it, it's that good. How do you think that track would have measured up with a Busta or with a Prodigy? You know, I think, uh, so I can hear Busta on it like easily. And I think Busta would have absolutely smashed that beat. You know, it goes back to the conversation we had last week uh, about Grandmaster Melly Mel saying that Busta Rhymes was greater than Jay-Z, uh, you know, you can go back and take a look at that and, you know, it's an end up discussion. Um, I don't think I'd land. I think that Mel was talking more about performance than, than um, necessarily records, but, you know, cause I think Jay has been 
given better production over the years to your point about Jess and Kanye and even Bink and like even just the people on the Blueprint album. So if Busta had this type of production, a top 10 level Jay-Z beat, um, then I think he would have just destroyed it as he tends to do on these kind of records. I have a really hard time hearing Prodigy on this record. You know, Prodigy mm -hmm. to me shines on, um, generally speaking, um, darker, uh, kind of more sinister laid back beats. You know, I think about what I believe to be some of his best work um, on, you know, the infamous and, um, you know, a lot of that music kind of fell into that. You know, there's obviously exceptions like Keep It Thorough and, you know, others, but you don't think about Prodigy as being on club bangers necessarily. I do think though, that had he been on this, it, it could have potentially showcased a different side of him. And who knows, man, it could have altered the trajectory of his career. Like uh, literally it would have been, I think in heavy mixtape rotation, um, you know, it could have been a breakout performance for him in a different lane than he typically was. So what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think you make a really good point. And in 2001, when that eventually landed on the blueprint, I mean, Prodigy and Mob Deep were changing a little bit. I just listened to The Getaway by Mob Deep this morning, and, and that was a very different sound than what, you know, Mob had done up until that point. You know, he's a year, I guess, removed, a year or two from, like you said, Keep It Thorough, which still to this day, one of my favorite Alchemist beats. Um, you know, previously... Just said that, you know, he had heard the Busta, like he knew what that could mean for Busta. And I'd be very curious to know how Busta is going to flow on a song like that. Because I mean, Jay, for as many great flows as Jay has, he has used that song, which was not a single, but it's a statement song. You know, I will not lose. And, you know, talks about stacking his millions and flipping. And, you know, that to me was a centerpiece of the blueprint of like, no, this isn't just, you know, a star. This is a superstar. And that song, um, the energy of the lyrics is matched in the beat. So it makes you wonder. And I'm, you know, shout out to Just too to like talk about these situations where, you know, he was shopping beats heavy at that point. But over the course of a few days, um, I believe starting with Girls, 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 Jay took, takes special interest in Just. And he even said, and he said this in the 2017, um, it's the real live, live uh, performance, which you were at, right? Uh, I think so. I think I was at that. Yeah. yeah. Eric and Jeff put it on and Bink was there and Just was there and some different, I think G Roberson, like folks that had worked on that album. And Jay apparently says to Just at one point, stick around, I'm going to make you a star. And so Just had to kind of go and pull those beats back from whatever Busta was doing with it and whatever Prodigy was going to do. And there were other beats in that time that went to Ghostface Killer. With, you know, which I think is just so interesting um, because now I think of the blueprint is such a cohesive album. And in that same interview, just as an aside, um, just reveals that, you know, Michael Jackson's vocals are in the Girls, Girls, Girls remix, something that he wasn't even aware of until he kind of, you know, went through his own stems during the pandemic in the catalog. I think he said he was in the basement pulling through, so... Yeah, before we get to that, because I think that's really interesting. There's so that actually two things tie together, right? Uh, so, um, you know, Jay Z famously referenced Michael Jackson being on the Summer Jam stage in Takeover. Yeah. Right? Uh, he also references Prodigy in Takeover. 
Do you think yeah. that, you know, it's interesting to me that you don't know was potentially going to go to one of Jay's rivals at the time. Uh, do you think that that helped to, to like fuel the fire a little bit? Makes you wonder, you know, because if somebody's kicking, you know, some if you think you have something and it ends up in somebody else's hands, um, you know, that's that's real. And and one thing I'll say, and I think you would agree, is Jay is extremely calculated. So if he's interested in a beat and he knows that it's going potentially to one of his rivals at the time, um, that's noteworthy to me. Yeah, that's very noteworthy. Yeah. And yeah. and just. Just to be clear, too, for a little specificity, it was um, Izzo was for Ghostface Killer and Ain't No Love was for DMX. Takeover was for Beanie Siegel. Just mm -hmm. the the origin stories behind some of those blueprint classics, which, again, I mean, I think we all immortalized Jay for his ability to just make a moment. And he certainly did that on that album. It's crazy to imagine just the thin line that all of those great songs had from being on somebody else's project, whether they would have been singles or not. Yeah. I can hear ghost smashing is a like, uh, you know, bouncy and soulful like that. I can also hear, um, about to say X. I can hear X on ain't no love, man. Just yeah. really, that, that, that is like sweet spot for him. That would be crazy. In 2001 DMX. Come on, man. Like yeah. he was crazy. Yeah. That, that would have been incredible. You know, so going back to that summer stage, you know, so Michael's on vocals are on girls, girls, girls. First of all, I wonder if we'll ever hear that version. That would just be so epic. Um, pun intended. Um, uh, secondly, um, I think that I wonder if, you know, because Summer Jam that year was in 2001, June of 28. The Blueprint was released on 9-11 of 01, you know, um, which, you know, sometimes people forget. Um, I wonder if MJ's vocals were recorded during that weekend when Summer Jam came out, you know, because uh, the timing would align for that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you've seen that photo, right, of Michael with Dame and Jay. I think Bleak's in it. And uh, yeah. it makes you wonder, too, especially, I mean, to bring it full circle back to Just, the thing that was always crazy about Rockefeller is they had one, sometimes two studios. So they could, if somebody was in town, they could always go and kind of document that moment, like any great label movement, you know, learned. And that's just some so powerful. So, yeah, it makes you wonder. Yeah, so hip hop said that it was hip hop, right? Who said that um, that the blueprint was basically almost like Just Blaze uh, and Kanye battling each other. Like uh, you know, Just would come in and, and be angry that he heard a Kanye beat and want to go back and outdo it. And so it made me wonder, like, who do you think was better on Blueprint, Just Blaze or Kanye? You know, so for Kanye, you got Takeover, you got Izzo, you got Heart of the City, and Never Change. I would say all classic J records, um, you know, for just blades, you got girls, 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 you don't know. And song cry also probably all classic J records, you know, one less, but then, you know, you got PSA on the black album, which we both said was maybe top two J songs ever. Yeah. Um, so like, let, let, let's, let's brought, who do you think is a better producer for Jay-Z Kanye or just blaze? Better producer of Jay-Z, Just Blaze, and, and PSA is a huge part of that, um, even though obviously Kanye and Jay made an entire album together and there's joints on it, I'm still going Just Blaze because of what those records mean to me, and I feel like the doors in the corridor of Jay-Z that they opened. Mm. Um, but I certainly would see the other side of that opinion, but for me, I'm going Just. You? Ooh, it's a tough one, man. I gotta say, um, 
of all those songs, uh, my top three are You Don't Know, PSA, and Takeover. Um, PSA well, you, probably first. You're um, going You're going I'm, on the blueprint question, though? N- uh, no, just J- J- or Kanye versus Just Blaze for Jay, right? Okay. So PSA is probably number one for me. You Don't Know, number two, and Takeover, number three in those three. You know, two being, the first two being produced by Just Blaze, the last but by Kanye. But I got to say, like, overall body of work, you know, Takeover is a heart of the city, never change. Uh, Girls, Girls, Girls and and Song Cry were both, um, neither one of those were among my favorite Jay-Z joints. I I like them, but they're not at the level of some of those other ones. Mm -hmm. So it's a tough one, man. This one literally might be a draw for me. Uh, And typically I would make that, but... I will say this, that the Just Blaze, and like I had an argument with a dude like I worked with back in 2008, 2009, because he didn't know Just Blaze, but he was like loving Kanye and everything that Kanye did. I was like, dude, Just Blaze, like Just Blaze is that guy. And I made him a mix of just Just Blaze. I called it fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that Just Blaze does not get enough credit as a GOAT producer. Like I think that Just Blaze... I would say as a top 10 producer. And um, I don't think that people ever, ever talk enough about that. But what do you agree with that statement, first of all? I think he is an absolutely great producer. Um, I don't know that I would. He's close on top 10. I will say this. I think that on the blueprint, Kanye um, is has the better contributions. And you kind of articulated this, but take over which is absolutely in my top 10 Jay-Z songs. Um, Heart of the City, which I think is such a a centerpiece also of that album and never change, which at this point, you know, 22 years later, almost, that's one of the Jay songs on that album that I hold the most dear. Um, Those songs are just incredible records. I will say, and I know this is sacrilege to some, um, Girls, 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 never my favorite record. Um, I, I like the video. I like the sentiment. Just not, it's 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 a weak link for me on there. And as much as I love You Don't Know, um, Song Cry is also, that's that's in probably my bottom third of that album. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I know the beautiful thing of a classic album is we all like different things. But yeah, I, I will say, you know, Just has made some of my favorite songs. Um with artists not Jay-Z. I think Safe to Say with Fat Joe is incredible. I think the the work that he did on Freeway's first album is some of Just Blaze's best work. A song like Line Em Up, which is an album cut, has that that ability um, of, of rock drums and rock guitars. And, you know, when Just is with an artist with a really booming voice, like a Freeway, like an M.O.P., um, you know, Saigon, uh, let's not forget of, of Come On Baby, like, so many joints just blaze is insane and he is he is very close to that that 10 spot of the top 10 but i don't know that i can say with confirmation in my opinion today that he certainly is i'm gonna have to send you that mix then man i need uh, that yeah. so jay just jay alone you got street you know in addition to the blueprint you got streets is talking stick to the script show me what you got which is a top five jay song for me Hovey wow. Baby, uh, where, where Just Blaze just goes crazy playing the live drums on that. Yes. Somehow, some way, you know, another like uh, classic joint uh, for Jay. And then you got the Kanye, Touch the Sky. You know, speaking of Joe Budden, you got Pump It Up. 
the rock just fire like you know uh from Dip- diplomats is crazy to me uh what we do um breathe fabulous breathe is insane yeah um free uh compton for kendrick and then freedom beyonce and kendrick is just another just like he makes epic wall of sound type productions that just take over and make you want to break stuff like uh, uh he is just Again, top 10 for me, for sure, man. For sure. I like the wall of sound comparison. The interesting thing about Justice, I learned about him because he was, it was in the source or double XL or blaze. They said, you know, there's this producer that's making beats on a two way, you know, and one of his early hits, I think when I learned his name was, you know, Mac B by Beanie Siegel. And that has that very like, elect, you know, electronic, that sound. And what's crazy is, you know, he finds that pocket Um, even before Blueprint, of sampling records. Um, And then he can make, you know, these big, like, anthems, like Live Your Life for T.I. or um, the joint he did for Mano, All the Above. Like, he can do Beyonce records. So just as insane. I believe he and I share the same birthday. Um, But just a a super, super talented dude. And then he he does really cool things. One of my favorite, like, feel-good stories we ran back in the day on AFH is you know, just catalogs everything. And if you see him DJ, he very likely will play something, you know, a different version of it or something that never released. But he did something that I thought was super cool is, um, you know, MOP never put an album out on on Rockefeller. And a lot of the production was done by Just. And he gave MOP all of those beats and said, do something with these, you know, whether you re-record or or whatever. And I think as we talk about Logic and his fandom for hip-hop, you watch an interview with Just or you listen to a mix. Um, he also drips with a love of this music and kind of that that fan, that fan never dying in him. So I think that's super cool too. Since you mentioned that, I do want to ask you one question uh, before we move on back to Logic. Uh, do you think that he's doing it for the love? Logic? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know... One thing we didn't say about Budden's comment is, you know, when Budden's saying retire, please, Logic did retire in 2020 and not even a year passed before he put out his next Def Jam album, um, which was one of those times, uh, you know, several of us just eye rolled. But I think the reason he came back isn't because he needs the money. It isn't because, um, you know, he was obligated to a contract. It's because this dude loves loves to rap and he always feels like he has something to say. And I think like so many hip hop artists, the spirit of competition is in him where he sees a Kendrick, a Cole, a whomever making really good music. And he goes, I want to, I want to keep my name a buzz. So. Yeah. No, I, I think that that is without dispute, you know, regardless of what other motivations he might have, I think he truly loves the culture and is doing this for the love for sure. Mm, big time. Yeah. So, uh, all right. I'm sending you that mix on just blaze. No, <laughs> um, so, you know, we talked about Ghostface earlier. Um, there's some new music out. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, so this week, Static Selector on social media said, hey, I got something special. Um, I got a song with Raekwon, Method Man, Ghostface Killer, and Inspector Deck. And it's called Unpredictable. And it's going to premiere Thursday night on Funk Flex. And I saw that. I, I think I called you, you know, as we were talking about some other things. And I was like, Friday, I think we got something special. So the song did come out. Um, It is the first single from Static's 10th album. I cannot believe that. I interview you. You and I had Static on this very show in 2020. A really, really good interview. 
that as we talk about Justin Logic, Static's love of hip hop is is throughout that interview. Yeah, but I cool- actually gave him a little bit of, of of Static about the fact that you know I attended the Lucky Seven um, listening uh, party. It was in the Sirius XM Studios, and Static was very adamant at that point that that was his last album. Um, so <laughs> I'm very you know artists often retire, you know, and then come back. Um, and I'm not mad at that. And I'm, I'm very glad that he did come back because, uh, man, like the last album with like walk on by with, uh, or keep it, keep it, um, keep it moving with, uh, with Joey badass and then time mm-hmm. with Jack Harlow, like yeah. it had some absolute bangers on it. So like, I'm looking forward to this, but anyway, continue. No, I'm laughing, man. You and I retired too in 2020. We thought we were <laughs> done and we came back. So we, uh, you that know, we true. deserve that. That but you know what's funny? I am about five listens in, and I'll say this about that. What I thought was cool up front is that, you know, Static's been able to pull out a lot of stops over the years, even down to the point you just made of my favorite Jack Harlow verse on time. But he's never, you know, he'll usually like get an MC from over here or this generation and put them with an MC like Joey Badass and Black Thought on Bird's Eye View. Um, to watch him do you know, have four Wu-Tang MCs in their 30th anniversary year since Enter the Wu-Tang is special. And what I really like, too, is, I mean, you know, Ray, Meth, and Ghost, those are your three hitters right now as far as MCs. Like, let's, you know, let's just be real. Um, Jizza is part of that, too, but Jizza is not as, you know, prolific lately as those other three. What I love about this is he's got Inspector Deck on there, and I will always advocate that Inspector Deck is a great MC. You know, shout out to Zarface. But if you look at Wu-Tang's classic songs as a group, Inspector Deck carries a huge payload on that and oftentimes has the first verse. You know, whether you want to talk about Triumph, I believe, Protect Your Neck. Um, and he gets the first verse on this. And that, again, shows some some um, strategy and some thought from a hip hop fan. And you know, Ghostface talks about like 96, he makes a reference to Daytona 500 and being the first artist with a Jesus piece on, um, you know, meth still not cursing on a record comes in there, you know, uh, talks about how padded his pockets are. He's got the method man flow and tow. It's really cool. And it's the first single. We don't know what the album is going to be called, but what's interesting too is static said, like, you're, you're going to spot some drums in there that are familiar, um, but he was like, all samples are cleared. I use Tracklib, which is that service that Static is one of the ambassadors of that's designed to make sampling affordable and accessible. Yeah, uh, I, I thought it was dope, man. You know, Static is famous for very soulful beats. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, to me, sounded like a bit of a different lane than you typically hear Wu on, uh, you know, especially like with Riz's production, which is much more dark and kind of... Um, uh, less melodic and so it was cool to hear them in that 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 sonic context too but glad to see that and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what static's got you know in the tuck yeah me too i mean he knows how to make a moment and that's really cool um just some other new music you know we talked about covers uh t-pain not an artist we cover a lot on the site has a new album of covering the classics we talked about logic's liberties with ice cube t-pain covers war pigs by black sabbath no auto-tune, um, and I know we can all remember the Tiny Desk concert, but T-Pain sounds like Lenny Kravitz on that. I mean, what he does with his voice. It's really interesting. He covers Journey on there, covers Sam Cooke. Um, 
for folks out there that are a fan of 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 Teddy uh won't say Pendergrass, um, you know, it's an interesting, interesting body of work. Yeah, uh War Pigs is wild, man. I first came on that. Um Ice T sampled that for um That's right. you know, uh, Ron Pace, uh just like and and killed it like too. It was it was really dope. So I I I downloaded that, the T Pain, but I gotta take a listen to it downloaded a, an acoustic a new like you two went back and reinterpreted a lot of their classic songs and i started listening and i'm a huge oh, wow. YouTube fan and i couldn't i couldn't make it through the second song i was like no, no, <laughs> that's been out for a few weeks though right uh i thought it came out today okay um, yeah but in any case like i, I hope the t-pain project is um is a little different than that i, I love michelle and Deggio cello's covers Okay. Weird songs and T Pain, you know, after that tiny desk. I listened to that tiny desk just last week. I listened to it at least once a month. Um, so I'm still might be the best. Um, something else just to put on the radar of people, currency, you know, who's done a lot of interesting work with you know various producers, i.e., Alchemist, Harry Fraud. Let's not forget the pilot talk stuff with ski beats. He's been working with Jermaine Dupree, and in theory, um, that just sounded like, what would that sound like? And we got the first look, at least in officially released form in a joint called Essence Fest. And, you know, Currency is definitely an acquired taste. He can he can absolutely just like um, really hit the spot sometimes with his lyricism. Other times, I think he's more about just vibe. Um, this was one where I'm, I'm more interested maybe in the germane part of it of like, wow, like, let's not forget all the So So Deaf stuff. But as we talk about Jay, you know, Jermaine was very instrumental to American Gangster, you know, worked on that album a lot. And I think that he's somebody, at least for meat and potatoes rap fans, that, you know, sometimes we look at as, as more of a songwriter and an R&B producer and a pop producer. But this one, I'm really, you know, I played it a few times, really like the production. I'm eager to hear um, more because the folks that I've heard in the space that have heard more of the album have really said it's something special. Yeah, I got to listen to it a couple more times. Um, definitely sounded a throwback to me, the beat, you know, very, very uh, kind of like 80s, very drum intensive, different lane than Currency, because he's another dude who tends to be on more soulful beats. So for mm -hmm. him to go in this less melodic lane is different for him. And I think I was probably expecting that when I heard it. So I'm gonna give it a few more spins. Definitely. And then just one last um, note. Uh, this is big. I, I, I texted you about it, but we finally have music. Mayhem Loren, who we had on the show last year with Derringer, has partnered with DJ Muggs of Cypress Hill and Soul Assassins and Mad Lib for an entire album produced by those two guys. This is a big deal to me. Matt Muggs, I mean, the guy who made all those joints with Cypress Hill, you know, Jump Around for House of Pain, the stuff with La the Dark Man, on and on and on, you know, Funk Dubious, to be partnering with Mad Lib. Um, that's not something I saw coming. The album drops very soon, April 7th. It's called Champagne for Breakfast. And, you know, there has been some stuff on social, but this week they released Wild Salmon, um, which, you know, keeps in line with the Mayhem Loren, you know, food references and stuff like that. But this is absolutely a project that I'm going to keep an ear on because um, I really like the Derringer and Mayhem. To me, that was his best body of work to date. And when you're working with Muggs and Mad Lib, like you've got my attention. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to that project. So uh, what's your song of the week? 
Man, you were there. I, I regret not being there. We talked about it in our last episode during the De La Soul party um, at Webster Hall. I think it was Stretch Armstrong was one of the originals played to the max by Steezo. And, you know, Steezo's album produced by Paul C. in part to me is one of those underground hip hop classic albums. You know, people know Freak the Funk and, you know, the other joints. But to the max, I've been playing all all week and just it brings the joy and my love of hip hop out of me. So I've been playing that one. I know it's not new, but if folks out there haven't heard it, give it a spin. What about you? So you talked about Alchemist and folks who have listened to us know that we are like fiends for Alchemist. He is always on our playlist as well, his productions. I've got an Alchemist playlist called Chemistry. I could send that to you too. Uh, it's updating, rolling, updated. But every year he does two or three projects with a single artist. Um, he did one with Currency last year and uh, Freddie Gibbs the year before that. And, you know, um, Boldy James has done a bunch it seems yeah. like he has a project coming on the way with Larry June because uh, he's released, they've released two songs together. And the latest one is called 89 Earthquake, which is on our Spotify playlist. Uh, that one has been heavy rotation for me. Uh, super dope. Larry June has become one of the my favorite artists that I've discovered in the last like two to three years. Um, just kind of creeped up on the scene for me, but got that laid back West Coast kind of vibe, like super chill, almost like a, a Dom Kennedy, but you know, to mm. me, like, but really, really uh, dope. I, I just love his flow and over Alchemist, it's just banging to me. So, yeah, man, Larry, I did his bio sometime during the pandemic, might have been 20, might have been 21. Cool guy, super inspirational. And he's been, like you said, I mean, he was, he was in the paint for a while, um, but finally getting his recognition and very, very prolific. And yeah, he, you know, Alchemist produced on his album last year. Um, but I, that is the one like, you know, and I'm so glad you added it to the playlist. Cause when I heard it, I was like, this is, there's, there's, there's more in store for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, yo man, um, until we do it again, man. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it. I wish you happy St. Patrick's day once more. And for everybody, if you made it this far, please give us a like, give us a comment, please subscribe. We do this because of you and until we do it again, peace, man, and peace.